Well, good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is Phil Heller. I'm the lead pastor here. And I hope this past week has given you a chance with your family just to stop and be grateful for who God is and all that he is doing and has done in your life and your family's life. Uh, Last week, we here at Crossroads celebrated Vision Sunday. And actually, it was a time for us to stop as a congregation and just look back over the past year and uh, celebrate all the ways that we have seen God at work and to give him praise and glory for all of that. And uh, also, we took that opportunity opportunity to share where we sense God leading us in the coming year. If you were not here last weekend, you might want to check out Just Vision Sunday. You can find it at cccgo.com forward slash vision. Uh, We shared last week that for this coming year, we really feel God just leading us toward learning how to abide by being with God, being with others, and being sent. We really want to see our lives and the lives of everyone around us flourish as we go deep into God's word and into prayer, as we invest in intentional relationships with people outside of this worship gathering, and also as we all find our shape and learn how we can serve joining God's mission in the world around us. And my prayer is that you engage with us. Last week, we also uh, affirmed our 2023 budget, and also we as a congregation affirmed four elders to begin serving along with our eldership. Uh, Thanks for just affirming Dwight Silvera as he returns as an elder. He's been serving for the past three years. Also, Brian Gower is returning as an elder after serving a one-year sabbatical. And then we also affirmed two new elders, Kent Aaron Holtz and Jason Stevenson. Thank you for your affirmation for all of that. Also, last week, 700 people, over 700 people, filled out the Church Pulse assessment. So thank you for that huge response. That was a significant proportion of our congregation, giving us feedback about where they're at in their own personal spiritual journey, as well as giving us data we can use as we make some real strategical decisions as we kind of launch into 2023. Also last week, we did announce that our year-end offering goal is $1 million between now and the end of this year, December 31st. And if we meet that $1 million goal, that will be able to cover the expenses for 2022, but also help us start in a really strong place as we begin 2023. So I just encourage you to prayerfully consider how you might be able to participate that. I also want to address some tension that I've been noticing probably since about Halloween, the end of October. It seems like people that I know, even people who are part of this congregation, are just getting on like social media and just being ugly and hateful, even pointing fingers at people about things that don't even really connect, blaming people for things that are going on in the world around us that really have no connection with any other like contributing force. It seems like there's just this huge uh, like polarization that's going on in our world today over one simple thing. And that is, when is the right time to begin decorating for Christmas? I mean, people are going crazy blaming people for the snow we had two weeks ago because they already had their Christmas tree up. I don't think those things are connected, but I hope this morning, now that we're past Thanksgiving, we can all just relax a little bit and recognize it's a fine time to go ahead and deck the halls if you haven't already and begin listening to as much Christmas music as you care to. It's that time of the year. I'm really excited to kick off this Christmas season and the series that we're gonna be following this Christmas season is revisiting the events that took place over 2000 years ago. 
We're going to get to know some of the people that were involved. We're also going to focus on some of the objects or aspects of Christmas. And today we're going to be looking at the angel who was sent with a special message from God. You know, the birth of a child is a really exciting time. I've got to be there in person for three of those. And it's filled with a lot of joy, anticipation, but there's also some anxiousness around that. The birth of Jesus reveals so much about the heart of God, as well as God's plan and will for mankind. God fulfilled his promise to bring a Messiah, Jesus, who would bring salvation to all people. As we visit the birth of Jesus at Christmas this year, I hope we'll once again be reminded that God is still at work. That God is still speaking, that he is still guiding us, that he's still providing for us, that he still is working through us, and that God is still with us. If you have a copy of the Bible or you want to use one on a device or in the seat back in front of you, turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. I want to begin today by jumping into this account of Jesus' birth by Luke, but I want to begin with the preamble to Luke's gospel. I think it's really important to set up this whole Christmas series. Look what Luke has to say in chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those for whom they first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. This is a powerful declaration of intent by Luke to begin with, noting that he's taken careful attention to all the details and the events surrounding the life of Jesus so that we can be certain of what we have been told about Jesus. His account of the life of Jesus actually begins with two birth stories, the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. Both are miraculous. Both are significant theologically. Both involve a fulfillment of many prophecies. And both were announced by the same exact person, an angel whose name is Gabriel. John's father was Zechariah. His mother was Elizabeth. We actually focused on Zechariah's life last year for one week during our Christmas season. Zechariah was old and his wife was well along in years. That's just a kind way to say she was old too, but that's what Luke chooses to use. We um, look at their life and they were childless. Zechariah was a priest. And one time while he was offering incense in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. And Luke records that he was terrified. He was troubled. He was scared. Zechariah was given great news by the angel Gabriel. He said, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth's prayers have been heard and God is going to give you a son. He's not just gonna be any son though. This son is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, just has been prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah was one of the people who prophesied about John being born and being a fun forerunner when he said this, there'll be a voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord 
has spoken. This is a powerful prophecy being fulfilled by the birth of the son that God gave to Zechariah. What's significant here is it was breaking 400 years of silence that had been caused by the people of Israel being disobedient and rebellious against God. The mouth of the Lord was now speaking. And this special son promised to Zechariah was called to proclaim the arrival of Messiah. Unfortunately, Zechariah was a little hesitant. He was a little doubtful since he and his wife were both old. When he asked the angel, how will this happen? The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. You'll not be able to speak until the day that it happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Did you catch the irony? God was speaking to Zechariah through Gabriel that he would have a son who would be the herald of the greatest news ever to be told that the Messiah was coming. And when Zechariah didn't believe, he was made mute until it happened. It's not funny, it's just ironic. It did happen. John was born. He fulfilled the prophecy by proclaiming the coming of Messiah. Gabriel also had the privilege of sharing that the Messiah was going to be born to his mother Mary. Listen how it happens as Luke recorded it now in verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There were some similarities as well as some differences between these two birth announcements. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and they were barren. Mary was young and she was a virgin. She was probably 12 to 14 years old at the time and she had never had sexual relations with a man. Both Mary and Zechariah were afraid. They were fearful. They were troubled at the sight as well as the news that the angel Gabriel had told them. And they were both told not to be afraid by the angel. I don't know about you, but if an angel shows up in my bedroom or in my presence, I'm going to be shaken in my boots, right? I think it's hilarious that the first thing the angel typically says is, do not be afraid. Both children to be born were significant. All the words used to describe this child to be born to Mary were prophecies about him that pointed to him being the Messiah. Let's walk back through them. Gabriel says that he will be the son of the Most High. This was a title reserved only for God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. What the angel was saying is this baby is God. In fact, the Hebrew word, original word, is the word for carbon copy. 
I'll date myself a little bit. I'm old enough to remember what a carbon copy is. You remember that blue piece of paper you could put between two sheets of white paper? You'd write on the top and on the bottom sheet, it would be exactly what you put on the top sheet. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask your grandparents. They probably used it quite a bit. You, this child was said to be seated, seated on the throne of the his father, David. This was a prophecy about the descendant would come through Joseph's line. It would be a kingly lineage. It was an indicator that this was the Messiah. The angel said that the Messiah will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. There had been a promise given to David and his son Solomon that if they obeyed God fully, there would always be a son of David on the throne forever. It was an indicator of the Messiah's coming. And finally, Gabriel says that his kingdom will never end. This is not a reference to an earthly or a temporal kingdom, but to an eternal kingdom. His love will reign forever. His reign will will last forever, not just here on earth, but also in heaven. Luke could not have found a more emphatic way to point that Jesus is to be the Messiah. Mary was not shocked that the Messiah was coming because that was something that all of Israel had longed for all of their life. She was shocked and surprised that she would be his mother because she knew she was a virgin. She asked a different question than Zechariah. She said this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Notice Mary didn't ask, how can this happen? Like Zechariah did, she asked, how will this happen? She seemed to have confidence and trust in what the angel was telling her, even though she was perplexed on how it will happen. The miraculous conception and virgin birth of Jesus has been debated, it's been doubted, it's even been inflated since the moment it happened. I'd just like to park here for a moment and point out some really important things. First, the virgin birth was the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The miraculous cannot often be explained, but it should never be dismissed. Second, God and Mary did not have sexual relations as some have taught. The phrase come on you or overshadow you, neither of those have any sexual connotation. Those same expressions were used when Genesis described that the spirit of God was hovering over the water in creation. The same phrases are also used when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the Holy of Holies by the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. I love what Hebrews talks about. Hebrews 10 verse 5. It's speaking of God and it says that God prepared a body for Jesus. God created this earthly body for Jesus without any human processes required, just like he created both the first man and woman out of nothing, it says. The Bidu Anubayle says these words, because Christ is fully God and fully man, he is the perfect savior. He needed to be God to supply the righteousness that humans could not achieve. 
He needed to be man to supply to God the sacrifice we owe. So he became the only mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the only way for men to come to God. Jesus was the promised Messiah, Savior, the Holy Son of God. Mary may not have been able to conceive how it was going to happen. See what I did there? But it was a fulfillment of God's promise. Gabriel revealed to Mary not only that she was going to have a baby, but even that her relative Elizabeth was going to have a baby too. And this was news to her. I think the angel pointed it out to show Mary that God's power she could take to the bank. She, he, she could take God at his promises. Luke 1 verse 37 writes, no word from God will ever fail. Some other translations like the English Standard Version says that nothing is impossible with God. I hope that you'll never separate those two phrases. That when God speaks, he'll do what he says he's going to do, regardless of how impossible it might seem to you. I love how Mary responds. Mary says these words, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's response was so full of faith as well as humility. She not only acknowledged the words that were said to her by the angel, but she accepted them in obedience. She knew full well the ramifications. She was engaged to Joseph at the time, and at the time of the ancient world, engagement was much more than what it is in our world today. It could only be ended by divorce. It typically lasted one year, and during that year, there was no cohabitation. There were no sexual relations. Now that she was pregnant and still engaged, the gossiping would start, the rumors would start, the ridicule would begin. She would wear the scarlet letter of her day. And yet, if Joseph divorced her during this period, which Matthew records he was contemplating, she would never be a candidate for marriage again. No one would give her the time or day. And yet with all that racing through her mind and heart, Mary still said yes. Mary's response sounds a lot like to me, Isaiah saying, here am I, send me. It sounds a lot like Esther saying, even if I perish, I'll still go. It sounds a lot like what Ruth said to Naomi, I will be with you, your people will be my people, your God, my God. It sounds a lot to me like Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, not my will, but yours be done. This is how faithful people respond to God's plan when he speaks to them. This moment in the first Christmas teaches us about God's character as well as his plan for our lives. God speaks. He reveals his heart and his ways to his people through many different channels. To Mary, he sent an angel. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits to, those, to serve those who inherit salvation. I want to be clear that angels are not some chubby, harmless adolescence that's floating around in the air dressed in a toga, you know, shooting some toy bow and arrow and strumming some play harp. That's not what an angel is. In fact, angels might not have even ever had wings, even though every nativity set you might purchase this Christmas depicts angels with wings. Instead, biblically, angels 
are part of heaven's army. They are warriors. They are servants. They are messengers. God sent Gabriel to communicate to Mary his heart as well as his plans for her. He declared how God felt about her. He says, Mary, you are highly favored. And I want to be very clear. Mary was not unique in being highly favored. Every one of us created in the image of God are highly favored. We are all recipients of God's grace. Mary was given a unique assignment. But guess what? That's no different than any of the rest of us. All of us have been fearfully and wonderfully created. All of us have been given a very unique assignment, gifted for that assignment and placed in position to fulfill that assignment. All of us share that with, in common with Mary. God reminds Mary of his presence with her, as well as his ability to accomplish what he told her is going to happen. He recounted his faithfulness in the past, as well as his presence in the future, to give Mary confidence for the future that he is about ready to reveal to her. And Mary, she listens. Despite all the inner questions, Despite all the external pressures that were probably racing through her heart and mind, Mary was attentive, she was humble, and she was responsive. She expressed complete trust and confidence in God and his plan, and she submitted to his will. And Bayou says this again. I've butchered his name. Let me say it one more time. Anya Baile, that's him. Great Bible scholar uh, from the Bible Project. Here's what he says. The only way a person can genuinely say what Mary says is to believe that God's plan is better than our plans for ourselves. We can't truly be servants of Christ unless we accept his plan for our lives. He cannot be our Lord if we insist on ruling ourselves. If he is Lord, then we are servants, glad servants of God. This is how faith replies to grace. When God promises you a savior, say, let me have him. When God announces his plan for your life, say, amen, let it be so. Not my will, but yours be done, God. So here's some good news. God is still speaking. He feels the same way about you as he did about Mary, and he has a plan for your life just like he did hers. He's still faithful to his promises, and he's still capable to accomplish all that he has promised. You might be thinking, well, how does God speak? I'm pretty sure that many of us have never had an angel appear to us in person. Yet, Hebrews 13.2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Guys, that angel might have been your mother-in-law visiting on Thursday for Thanksgiving, so I hope you didn't miss it, right? My parents always said, be kind to everyone. It's a good rule of thumb, right? God has been known to speak through angels. He's been known to speak through dreams and visions and prophecies. In fact, at the birth of the church, Peter quoted an Old Testament prophecy to warn us, to inform us of what could happen in our day. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Often when we hear the word prophesy, we think of like somebody predicting the lottery number so we can win a couple million. Well, prophecy is really broader in its definition. Prophecy is really any message or word from God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come when he went back to heaven and he would speak only what God reveals to him so that we could know God's heart, so that we could know God's will and ways in our life. God speaks most consistently through his word, the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God speaks most completely through Jesus. I love what the Hebrew writer said these words. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Check this verse three out. The son is the radiance, the carbon copy of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God has a myriad of ways that he can and does speak through angels, through visions, through dreams, through prophecies, through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, and also through Jesus. You could add creation. You could add others. You could even add circumstances to that list. He is still speaking. He's attempting to convey to us his character of holiness and power and trustworthiness to us. He has a plan for our lives. And while on the outside, it might not make a lot of sense, or especially to the world around us, it might leave everybody wondering, how will this take place? God's plan, his purposes are worth our trust as well as our obedient response. I love how Jesus describes himself. He says this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It just shows us that learning to hear God's voice, it takes desire. It takes practice. It takes intentionality. It takes patience. We can learn to hear the voice of God by listening for the voice of God. One of the expressions of learning how to live and love like Jesus is about being with God. And on the roadmap here at Crossroads, we've tried to resource ways that we can be with God by first learning how to read and study the Bible, by learning how to practice spiritual disciplines that help train our ears to listen, by also learning to hear the Spirit's voice and by responding in obedience. One of the resources that's provided through the roadmap is actually a 40-day guide to listening to God that was written by someone right here at Crossroads, Courtney Musgrave. She's provided this 40 days of listening to God as a resource for all of us to tune in our ears to the voice of God. You can find that resource at the roadmap, cccgo.com forward slash roadmap under the Be With God, Learn to Listen to the Holy Spirit, or just go to forward slash info, you can find them. 
If you're a little technically challenged, we actually have a few limited hard copies of this 40-day Listening to God resource. On the roadmap, there's also a great 60-minute training by Courtney, just sharing some other ways of learning how to listen to God. Maybe the greatest gift you could give yourself this Christmas would be to take time to begin listening to God. It starts by just dedicating maybe five minutes every day in a place where just you can learn to listen to God, where you and God can spend some time together. Maybe it's getting up five minutes early, finding a quiet place at your house. Maybe it's putting yourself in the car in the garage. Please don't turn it on. But maybe that's the only place you can find some peace and quiet. I'd encourage you to find the time and the place and listen when God meets you there. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, why would God want to talk to me? I mean, I'm a nobody. I mean, my life is so small, it's so insignificant. I mean, why would God want to speak to me? I think that's maybe how Mary was feeling. There's nothing in scripture that indicates that Mary signed up for this ahead of time. Like, me, 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 let me be the virgin who gives birth to the Christ child. Only thing that we see is her responding to God's invitation. When God spoke to her, Mary's believing response was to surrender herself fully to God as his willing servant. She experienced the grace of God. She believed the word of God. And she trusted the heart of God so much that she was found to be a fulfiller of the will of God. When God speaks to us, it's always a matter of love. Love that will care for us and take us up by the work of his grace through his people. God's power on the outside as well as his indwelling Holy Spirit on the inside. Together result in things being done that would never have been done. They seem unthinkable any other way. I'll tell you, I have never been greeted by an angel. I've actually never heard the audible voice of God. But I've heard God speak to me in many different ways. I've heard God speak to me through his word as I read it and see something like jump off the page. Maybe it's something I've read a hundred times, but it speaks to me in a fresh, insightful way. I have seen God and heard God's voice as, as I've walked through the parking lot on my way into the building this morning and saw those amazing storm clouds. And it was just like God was saying, I'm that powerful. I can do the impossible. I've heard God speak to me through the counsel of other people. I've seen and heard God work in circumstances around me. And I've felt God speak to me through that still small voice that though it's small, it is louder than my heartbeat ringing in my ears. The problem for Phil Heller is not that God isn't speaking. The problem with Phil Heller is that often I'm not listening. And often there are times where I'm not obeying. I had one of those moments just recently. I was actually at a conference with some of my teammates from here. We were in Dallas, Texas. We were part of a, a very powerful worship experience. And again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so loud. It was so strong that God was asking me to do something in this worship expression that I felt very uncomfortable with what he was asking me to do. 
And truth be known, I felt a little more awkward about what people might think of me if I did what I felt strongly he was telling me to do. Regardless of how loud he spoke, my resistance was louder or stronger. And you know what? Ever since that moment about three weeks ago, I've been kicking myself in the shin for that disobedience, for that sin, because that's actually what it was. Disobeying God when he speaks is just a three-letter word. It's a big word, it's sin. I confess that to some very close friends. They've just reminded me of God's grace that's new for me, and I'm, I'm trying to walk in that. But I'm even more strongly convicted that when I hear God's voice now and in the future, I don't wanna miss the opportunity to be part of what God's doing, regardless of what it might have meant to me. Aren't you glad that Mary didn't say no? She had all the reasons to say, you know, God, you got the wrong girl. Let her be the fool for you. But if she hadn't said yes, we wouldn't have a savior. Sure, God could have maybe done it another way, but all the prophecies pointed to this moment and Mary said yes. My prayer is that you and I will not only learn to listen and hear God's voice, but will respond the way that Mary did. Here am I, may it be to me as you have said. Let me just close with a couple friendly reminders that might help us be prepared to not just listen, but respond. The first is this, take God at his word. Trust God to be true to his promises. God's response to our faith is a huge smile on his face and I'm a believer that he rewards our obedience. So lean in. Don't be limited, but don't limit God by your thinking or by your actions. God is the most creative being in the entire universe, and he often accomplishes his will in ways that we might not expect. So let him surprise you. And when he does, trust him, obey him. I want to encourage you to be patient in this life of faith. Although circumstances around us might give us false readings that God is not speaking or he's not active, Trust God's promises. His timing is always right. Despite circumstances or even consequences, let God work out his will in your life according to his plan and to his timing. Be receptive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. So should we. The Spirit empowers us to live a life of freedom. And finally, give praise to God for all that he reveals to you, and especially for his gracious gift of salvation. Do you know what the most important thing God has ever wanted to say to any one of us? I love you. I forgive you. I offer you grace and salvation. I want you to be my child. More than anything that I hope you might ever hear from God, You'll hear those words this morning, that you'll trust those words, and that you'll respond to those words by receiving all that God wants to give you. Would you pray with me? God, I'm grateful that you have not played some cat and mouse game, that we have to wander around aimlessly trying to find your heart and your ways. God, that is not how you work, and I praise you for that. I trust you at your word. And while, God, I've already confessed, I don't always respond in obedience, Lord. Your ways have always been perfect. 
Your ways have always been higher than mine. They've been different than mine. But God, I trust your heart. Thank you for a great example in Mary who heard from the angel your love for her, your plan for her, your power that could be at work through her. And she said, yes. Oh, God, would you help us not just at this Christmas season, but every day? God, would you help us to listen? God, would you help us to hear? God, would you help us to respond? Would you help us to obey? God, I pray the result of that would be lives that begin to flourish because we are walking in the way that you have created for us and we're walking by your spirit and there is freedom and victory in that. God, I also pray that the lives of those around us, it would have a ripple effect. Their life would be transformed and the lives around us would be transformed by the power of you working in us. And that would all be for your glory. I pray through the powerful name of Jesus to that end. Amen.